Well, good morning. It's good to see you, and uh, if you're visiting us, particularly uh, welcome. And to those of you that came late, good move. Um, I think if actually more of you came late, that would help the seating enormously, um, but um, good move. I uh, want to talk about this fellow here on the screen. This man is uh, a guy called Harry Reid. And uh, for much of his uh, working life, he was the leader of the Salvation Army in the UK. But before that, um, much before that, in 1944, he was part of the Parachute Regiment that uh, landed in Normandy. (laughs) It's like, yes, we were there. Um, (laughs) that's, That's right. On Friday, Friday last, two days ago, he did another parachute jump. He's 94 years old. Yes, 94 years old. Now, I've got a feeling that, to be honest, there's nothing to it, because all you've got to do is fall. Um, But at the age of 90, (laughs) yes, okay, as someone who has done that, um, perhaps there's more to it than meets the eye. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and the other thing about that man is he's my great uncle. Yes, I know. Don't sound so remarkable. (laughs) But it is nice to know that in my extended family tree, there's someone to be proud of. (laughs) Couldn't be more different. He was interviewed on Sky News. And um, he did it. The reason he did it was uh, because... Um, he's 94 now, and he wants to do one next year as well, so I think this was kind of like just getting into practice for it. Um, but he did it as a, a sort of a way of raising some money, uh, particularly for those, uh, the part of the Salvation Army that works with uh, people who've been trafficked. But this is what he said. At whatever age we are, we are more than capable of shrinking from something that we feel is beyond us. At whatever age we are, We are more than capable of shrinking from something that we feel is beyond us. It's a good, it's a good reflection, actually. Whatever age we are, we find a reason for why we can't do what we think we could, (laughs) and indeed sometimes what we think we ought. There's always some reason for you not to do what you know is right. And what I want to talk about this morning in the time we have is just uh, reflect on Paul's life and on the Apostle Paul, a particular stage of his life where he simply refused to be intimidated by his circumstances. He refused to be intimidated, refused to be stopped, refused to be limited in a context where, for many of us, we might have done. When Paul writes Romans, uh, he begins his gospel saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It was kind of like the, the engine for Paul. It was the fuel for Paul. It was that sense that actually I am, Paul would say, convinced that the only thing that actually makes sense of the whole world 
the whole shooting match, the only thing that makes sense is the gospel of Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to step back from what that means. The passages that we're going to draw from are 24, 25, 26. I'm not going to read this week all of them by any means. But what I want to do is effectively reflect on those passages. When Luke writes uh, the book of Acts, and, and for those of you that visit and have not been around for a while, we're coming to the end of a long series on Acts, and the next two, three weeks we'll, we'll get to the end. But as we get to the end of this book, what uh, Luke does is he's concentrated on Paul and the story of Paul. And in the middle of it, what he's done is there's lots of times where Paul is now effectively giving a defense, he's giving speeches or he's reflecting with people, he's speaking to other people about what this gospel that he is so unashamed of, what's the implication? And in these three chapters, the two things you need to know is he's in prison and he's been badly beaten. Okay, So he's not in a strong place. He's not in a free place. He's not in a place where things are going really well for him. He's actually really, he has been and is under the cosh. He's under, in, he's in a context where it would be easy for him to feel sorry for himself. It would be easy for him to hang back. And it would be easy for him to think that actually his life and work is over and that maybe God's forgotten him. But in this context, quite the opposite. There are three conversations he has. And uh, I'll just pick on something about each of them. He has a, a first conversation with a guy called Governor Felix. So you remember the story of uh, what's going on in, in that part of the world at that time? The Romans oversee what we want to call Israel. They're go the governors. It's part of the empire. And so like empires all over the world, what the Roman uh, sort of central government do is they put governors in place who oversee. It's their job to oversee that area of the world. And one of these guys was Felix. It's, this is around AD 50, 51, 52. It's quite interesting that when Luke puts these sorts of names in, we now can actually be much more sure about where, when, and who, because it fits with secular history. So other people have written about these people, and we know that actually this is the time. It's around AD 50, 52. Governor Felix is uh, corrupt. Um, that's actually how he was known. He was just corrupt. <laughs> um, one of these guys on the make, but a man who's on the make who has power. Dangerous people. The second one is Governor Festus, who seems a lot more, um, a much better, a much better Governor. In fact, when Festus came into the post, and some of you will remember this, do you remember in 1997 the song Things Can Only Get Better? And we believed it. Um, well, I don't know if they sang that song in uh, AD 52, but it would be the song they would have sung Things Can Only Get Better, because Festus is here and he's a good governor. And then Festus who has a family relationship with King Agrippa. Okay, governors. But then the Jews have their own sort of rulers as well. King Agrippa is one of those. 
And his sister, Berenice. Now, this was like Posh and Bex. <laughs> they were flamboyant. They were rich. They were good time people. Agrippa and Berenice were brother and sister. But everybody wondered whether there was something more going on there. But Berenice was a woman on the make. In fact, in time, she would marry, briefly, the emperor of Rome. She was a woman going places. And uh, Paul has a conversation with each of these three people. And I just want to pick up on what Paul does with each of them. Are we okay so far? Okay. Anybody head on shoulder yet? Anybody dribbling? No? Okay, that's really important. I'm just trying to stop that this week. No dribbling this week. Last week was a nightmare. We had to swim out. This week, um, really trying to make it easier. Felix and his wife, Drusilla. This is from the 24th chapter. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. That's kind of like, just in brackets, really interesting. It shows you how complicated society was. It wasn't just like Romans and Jews. Actually, you could be Jewish and end up married to a Roman. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. <laughs> you get that wonderful, <laughs> wonderful idea of, well, hello, Paul. Anything for me today? Uh, can I talk about Jesus? Oh, okay. But I, I just want to highlight what Luke highlights. Here's the Apostle Paul, a small, broken Jewish Christian leader. And you meet the corrupt governor and Drusilla, who equally, in Jewish eyes, has broken commitments so many times. She's now on her third or fourth marriage. She's just, she's also got her own history. What do you say about Jesus to people in power? And it's interesting what um, Luke highlights from Paul's speech. He spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. But faith in Jesus for all of us is not simply private. It's not like believe in Jesus and you go to heaven. Believe in Jesus and everything's sort of about the past. It is that, but it's more than that. Actually, what Paul chooses to speak about with Felix is righteousness. And for Felix, this is not the most... It's like, uh, just give us the money and you can go. But righteousness, what does it mean to be a righteous governor? Self-control. <laughs> I'd like to, Paul says, to Felix, who has no self-control. I'd like to talk to you about Jesus and self-control. And thirdly, about the judgment to come. Felix, one day you're going to die. And God will want an account from you. I don't know. How you imagine Paul doing this. But Paul is not willing for faith to be in the corner. Paul is not willing for faith just to be your personal 
life with Jesus. Paul is saying, actually, because of my belief in Christ, the Messiah, the King, Jesus, the one who came, actually, everything changes, including how you run a governor, how you run as governor, how you live personally, and actually how you come to terms with what's going to happen to your own life is the challenge of Jesus to those in places of authority. And whether it's the Archbishop of Canterbury speaking about how unrighteous business can be, and how actually uh, zero hours contracts are wrong, and how big organizations that don't pull their weight in a country are wrong. And actually about how Wonga, which when uh, Justin Welby came into power, he said, I'm going to bring, it's like, he's only a weedy man, but he said, I'm going to bring Wonga down. I want to go for Wonga. And Wonga's now, ironically, gone bust. And now the church are being asked to take a part of that. How do you help people who are at the bottom? Whether it's Welby, and, and, and it's inevitable then that the press will find accurately elements of hypocrisy within the church. Well, you've got investments in Amazon. Yeah, that's true. But I'm equally hypocritical about Amazon because I think so much that they do is wrong, but I still use them. There are others who are far more righteous. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, when we edit, can we edit all of that out? Can we just take all of that section out? But he's absolutely right. That's the point. Because our faith in Jesus says... We've got something to say about righteousness and about right living and righteousness for a nation and how does a governance work. Now, most of us are never asked about all of this stuff. But some of you make those sorts of decisions at work. What does a righteous organization look like at work? And some of you do it in your families. What does righteousness look like? What does self-control look like? And what does judgment look like? The challenge of Jesus, Paul brings to Felix and Drusilla. When he talks to Festus, there's another equally. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of pleased that every now and again when we read this, you laugh. Because I think it is a kind of amusing. When his accusers, Festus is speaking. And he's talking about Paul being brought to him. When his accusers got up to speak, they didn't charge him with any of the crimes I expected. Like insurrection, no idea with those people, you crucify them. None of that sort of stuff. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate such matters. And I just want to say really simply, what keeps a man like Paul going? What keeps you going when you've been stoned, been shipwrecked, when people have slandered you, when you've been put in prison? And by the way, what I didn't say is when Felix was in charge, Paul was in prison for two years. What keeps you going? 
Well, what kept Paul going was Jesus is alive. And every now and again, I need to sort of hear that in the same way as we teach the children the central truth of Christianity is that Jesus is alive. The central truth of Christianity is not a set of um, morals you've got to follow. The central truth of Christianity is not you've got to join this group or that group. The central truth of Christianity is this, that when Jesus died, he rose again and he lives. And I need to remind myself that because I can turn all of this into something else. The truth is Jesus is alive. And it's as confusing for Festus as it is for people today. I didn't know how to investigate such matters. I'm just a Roman governor. Give me a good old sort of rabble-rouser. I know what to do with them. But someone who comes and says, let me tell you about a dead man named Jesus who's alive. And, and you know, I've never really thought about that verse very much in that verse till. I was preparing for this. But it's not a bad strap line for Christianity, is it? Let's tell you about a dead man named Jesus who was alive. <laughs> he was dead, but now he's alive. That's where our hope is pending. All I want to kind of just remind you of is that for those of you who are struggling, for those of you who wonder whether it's all worthwhile some days, Jesus is alive and he is at work and we join in and the third thing uh, Agrippa comes and uh, like I said Agrippa was sort of connected with Festus and so um, he visits Festus and King Agrippa and Berenice come and Agrippa said to Paul in the 26th chapter do you think because Paul tells him his story do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian you can imagine it can't you Paul's in chains. Now, you know, he's, he's been held in captivity for over two years now. And uh, he, he won't smell nice. <laughs> he just won't. He'll be, he's, he's, he will be just an older, middle-aged man who's been beaten up a number of times, who looks past his best, who has nothing to commend him. He's wearing the clothes of someone in captivity. He probably, he's not getting three-course meal every day. He's not looking well. He's looking like he's being kept. And he's in front of the King Agrippa and his wife, and his, uh, his sister, Poshenbex, dressed out in their finery. And he tells the story of what happened on the Damascus Road. And he said, God got hold of me. And Grippa says, you don't actually think I could be a Christian. You're not trying to persuade me, are you? Look at me and look at you. And Paul says, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Except for these chains. <laughs> Except for these chains. I don't want anybody else to have to do this. The invitation was for all. The invitation that, yes, King Agrippa, I want you to receive Jesus. Yes, I pray, actually, Paul says, that you will. 
I pray that you who have power, that you who are in positions of riches, I pray that you will know Jesus. I pray that short time or long, that God will get hold of you. I have faith for that. This faith, three things, simple things really. The faith is about righteous working in the whole of society. It's about the central fact that Jesus is alive, and it's about an invitation to all. Will you receive this Jesus? And I think that actually what Luke does, when Luke's writing this, he's writing this account for churches to read later in order that they might be confident in living the same message. That's why Luke tells you this. It's not like, oh, wasn't Paul brilliant? It's a shame he's dead, isn't it? It, That's not why Luke tells this story. Luke tells this story because he wants people like you and me to read that and go, do you know what? That's the real deal. That's what it looks like. That's how it works for us. So here's my four, my four parts, my four pass-ons to you, really. The first thing is, for those of us that run with Paul's baton, that baton of courage, that baton that says, actually, I'm going to live this life fully for Jesus. Don't worry about success. Felix got reassigned. Festus, as far as we know, never was impressed enough to explore whether Jesus was indeed alive. And King Agrippa and Berenice, they had bigger things to think about. You look at these three long chapters And these are not stories of success. They're stories of doing the right thing. Don't worry about your success. You do the right thing. Secondly, know your own story. I've said a number of times that when um, Luke gets to this end of of his story of the church, um, he retells Paul's story. He tells Paul's story in the book of Acts three times. Three times. The same story at length. Your story is the significant story of how God intervened in your life. Know your own story. Why are you a person who's following Jesus? What's your reason? What's God done that you say, this is why I'm who I am? It's kind of like when Peter writes to his churches, he will say, don't be ashamed to, and don't be slow to give a good reason for the hope within you. Tell people what happened. And for some of you, it's quite dramatic. And for others of you, it's like, I was born, I went to Sunday school, and then suddenly it just became, it, it made sense. And actually, I grew into this faith. And the more I grew into it, the more it made sense. And actually, I see the whole of the world through this now. And it is plausible, and it is credible. You just need your own story. You need to find your own language for your own stories. Because people will ask you, well, why are you involved with it? You seem normal. <laughs> why are you a Christian? Your story is the vision you have of the world. Don't be ashamed of it. Know it. Thirdly, don't be intimidated. When you have to speak in front of people, the intimidation works both ways. Sometimes because there are people in power and actually because, or alternatively, because there are people that you know really well. And ironically, both of those groups of people can intimidate you. Don't be intimidated. The One of the things that Paul does here, and of course we might expect Paul to do this, Paul runs through this without a hint of intimidation. And finally, 
know that you have to play your part. Paul died. The baton was passed on. One day you're going to die. One day we all will. And the question is, when we meet the Lord, what we want him to say is, well done. You were good and you were faithful. You ran the race and here's the reward. And life's short. Life's short. So don't put off tomorrow what today's task is. Don't say, well, one day I really hope I could be like that. Because actually, you've not got that one day. You've got today. You've got this week. There's some stuff that actually we just can't put on the shelf of, I'd love to get round to it. Play your part. One day... One day it'll be the day for reward. Today's the day of sowing all those seeds. Unashamed, unafraid. When Isaiah writes to the people of God in the Old Testament who are in a place where God is doing something new, but actually it was possible that they too might be feeling a little intimidated. God speaks directly to him through the prophet and says, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's the promise. And the promise is not that we might have an easy life, but the promise is for days like Paul has in front of uh, Felix and Festus and Agrippa. Days in front of your bosses. Days in front of your family. Days in front of the strangers that you don't yet know you're going to meet. That's the promise. That's when the promise really kicks in. Final slide. Uncle Harry. this is the other thing he said. I believe we should not withdraw from a challenge. Yesterday is not our best. Our best is tomorrow. There's no age at which you go, this probably isn't for me. There's no age at which you say, I'm probably not the people, I'm not the person that Neil's thinking of. We live our whole lives for God. Every stage of our life, we say to him, Lord, here I am. I'm ready to be used by you. I want to be unashamed and unafraid. Yeah. Gosh, it's still Sunday. Let me explain what we're going to do. Ian, I wonder if you could come back with your um, the band. Thank you. I just want you to play in the background. 
I don't know how all this sort of stuff works for you. Um, but what I want to do is give you some time this morning just for it to become your truth. I've been speaking for about, um, about 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. And that means that roughly there's two and a half thousand words been spoken. <laughs> about 100, minute, 100 words a minute, roughly. And uh, not all of those words, most of those words would be remembered. Not all of those words would be equally relevant. But some of those words would be very particular. And the overall message might be absolutely right for you now. I'm going to leave that slide up. And I'm going to ask these guys simply to play in the background for us. And I want to give you the time for where you are to make your response. We were praying for you before the service, some of us. And um, we were just praying for you, actually. And sometimes, some of you, we were praying by name. Because uh, we kind of know that some of you are going through a bit of a hard time. And others of you, we were just praying more generally for. But we were praying that God would speak to you. And that God would make sense of how your life and his life interact. And how he can take your life and use it for his purpose. So as we listen to them play, why don't you, not so everybody else can hear, just sit for yourself. Why don't you just take a moment or two to pray? The appropriate prayer for yourself in the light of all that's been said. Unafraid, unashamed, unintimidated. Realizing that God is with us, ready to play our part. Asking that God would make those appointments for you where you will have no chance other than to stand up for the one who was dead but is now alive. The challenge to the way things are done, the truth that Jesus is alive, the invitation that it's for you, you must come and meet this living God. Will you pray that God would use you? For some of you, you find that easier sort of stuff to do when you stand, or for others of you, when you kneel, for others of you, you do it great when you're just sitting, but however it is for you, just take the moment to commit and recommit your life to the purpose of God.